morning again. So we don't have treehouse this morning. However, if you're in that category, you want to go back. I don't see anybody. I'm not talking to myself. If somebody happens to come in in their treehouse, they can go back and hang out and be little helpers with the seedlings and saplings. That would be great. At any rate, I want to welcome you here. Can you just turn that down? It's pretty hot. Thank you, sir. There's going to be a lot of yelling and stomping today, so I want to make sure that I leave myself space for that. Just kidding. How many of you guys have done the 23andMe DNA thing? Just, I know some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand for that. I didn't see a lot of hands go up, actually, surprisingly. Like, there's a lot of people that did that. I, I've done that. Um, people are like, how dare you? Now the government has your DNA. Well, guess what? I was in the military. They have everything they ever want of me and then some, so I'm not worried about that. Anyway, DNA is an, an interesting thing, is it not? Yes. Man, it's, it's, um, it's fascinating when you look at somebody and you can look at the person next to them and go, that's like, you guys go together. Like there's, there's something happening there. I can, I can see a resemblance in you. And that's because the DNA in your parents or in you was then passed down to your children. And there's a resemblance. You get features and there's certain things that just are very, very evident. That is that person. So I want to show you just some, some pictures real quick. If you just click to the first picture only. Okay. I can't whistle right now. Anyway. Um, so that's my wife. 18-year-old Christy. Um, I think she was in Australia that time in the Marine Corps. Um, Good-looking girl. I'm trying to make it as awkward as possible. To show you okay, and it would go to the next picture, please. All right, there's our beautiful daughter, Kiki, in this picture. I think she's 17, so maybe they're a year apart in these pictures. But let's put them side by side here. All right, there's some, there's some resemblance happening here. Um, some pretty significant things that, even though their hair is the same, and, you know, that there's some, some like, just outward kind of... Um, beautification that's happening there to make it look similar. There's certain things that you just can't change, like the eyes. I mean, cosmetic surgery, of course, like that. But you could dye the hair. You could do all kinds of other things. But you're not going to change the basics of the DNA. And that's because DNA does not lie. <laughs> you, can't, you can't try to hide it. People try all the time. They try to, you know, change their look and do all these things. But the, the DNA, it just, it's imprinted on you. And as much as you want to try to change it or hide it, you can't. And when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, guess what? You were born again and you inherited some things, some DNA, some characteristics, some traits from your Heavenly Father. Did you know that? I hope you knew that because that's what we're going to be talking about today in kind of big picture Language, that's, that's the idea that I would like for you to keep at the forefront of your mind as we're walking through this. So if you have a Bible, grab it. We're going to be in 1 John. We're coming down the home stretch, believe it or not. We just got a few more weeks here in this text. So we're in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. And I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter, actually. So 7 through 21. Here's what the Word of God says. Beloved, let us... Love one another, for love is from God. 
And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love, I'm sorry, anyone who does not, let me start again, verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because he, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So that's the text today. And as we're reading through that, you might have been thinking to yourself, that's very repetitive, very redundant. This sounds like you read the same line twice or three times. And as a matter of fact, when I got down to verse 16, I was like, wait a minute, I already read that verse. And I didn't. It's just there's some things going on here. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to ask for um, the Lord's help. We'll jump in. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this journey that we've been on through 1 John. And I ask God that this morning you would help us not just to kind of come at this text hearing some familiar themes and, and think for a second that maybe there's something we've already covered so we don't really need to invest as much in this. God, your word, all of it is necessary for us to walk upright and holy. And so I pray that the word this morning goes forth and, and is received into hearts that are ready to respond to your word. And I pray for peace in our hearts and minds and focus in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, my friends, there's the number at the bottom of the screen. If you have um, questions, go ahead and text them to that number. I'll tell you right off the bat, well, I'm not walking through the text line by line necessarily. I'm going to catch the big pieces. So there may be stuff in there where you're like, hey, you didn't get to that part. Um, if you have questions about that, then by all means, um, talk to me about it. Text us the questions in. But uh, I kind of got somewhere I want to go with this. How many of you here were, th were here three weeks ago? Just think back three weeks ago when I was up here last time. Okay, some of you were. Okay, I'm just going to bit of a review then. It's going to help us set the tone for where we're going. So... Last time I was up here, three weeks ago, we were in another love text throughout this uh, letter. And I said that godly love does three things. It demands action, it comes at a cost, and it will set us apart from the world. Maybe you were here, you remember that. And we talked, I, the idea about proper action is necessary in order to communicate love to those around us. I said it's not enough just to say you love someone. There has to be action involved in order for you to communicate that kind of love. Sounds familiar, right? Hopefully. I also described the love as sacrificial. It comes at a cost to us. 
Properly loving all people, not just the ones that are easy. Properly loving all people requires selfless, others-focused kind of love. And it is based on something other than our own ability. You try to do that on your own terms, in your own ways, I guarantee you, you're going to mess it up. It's just going to happen that way. And so we're going to touch on that. We're going to go a little bit deeper into that idea of the fact that we are not the source of that love. And we'll get there, so just bear with me. But do you remember the example that I used three weeks ago? I know it's a long time ago. The biblical example of sacrificial love that John used and that I highlighted in terms of the ex- ultimate expression of love. It was death. What, 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 what death? Jesus. Where did Jesus die? On the cross. Okay, we're just piecing it together. So, ultimate expression of love, Jesus on the cross. And then he's going to re-emphasize that same point in this passage again, twice, in verses 9 and 10. So it's, it's pretty important. You know, we've said this before, but I'll take time to say it again. Anytime you see something repeated in the scripture, it's a point, it's a tool of emphasis, especially three times. If he says something three times, we got to pay attention. Okay, so it's not that I'm re-preaching the message from three weeks ago, although may it feel like that. I'm, I'm trying to build on where we were in order to get somewhere, because I think that's what John is doing here. He's beginning to wrap up his letter, but he's doubling down on the themes that are running through his letter. And if you had to attach one word to all of John's writing to include his gospel and these letters, what one word would you assign to these writings? Love. <laughs> Love. I mean, that's, that's it. So this section that we just read, it, it begins with a call to love one another. That's what he says right off the bat. Beloved, let us love one another. And then there's a reminder of where the love come from. So let's look at 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. Put those up there, please. Thank you, sir. Beloved, let us love one another, for this love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Notice how he says that whoever loves has been born of God. Whoever loves has been born of God. So does that mean that everyone that is in love is a believer? No. Said another way, can only believers experience love? No. Okay, I'm glad we're on the same page there. As human beings in general, made in God's image and likeness, we've all been given the capacity to love. There are many things, many good, good things in this world that we would call the common grace that's been offered by God to all people, regardless of whether or not they, they believe in him. The beauty of the, the earth, the, the rain, I mean, all the things that we have in this life are not just exclusive to Christians. You have to believe this in order to receive it. Love is one of those kinds of things as well. But what we see here is John using a specific kind of love, and it's one ascribed to people who have been born of God. What's another way of saying that? A born of God, born again. We use that terminology, right? A born again believer. And so we're going to dig into that again as well, but not yet. I know I'm like leading you on. You're like, are you ever going to talk about anything? Yes, <clears throat> I promise. There's a key phrase in this entire passage, and it comes at the end of verse 8. Put up, uh, just go back one slide again, if you would. What is the three-word phrase at the end of verse 8 that is our key to this? Ah, with emphasis even. God is love. Nice. I love that. 
So this is actually something that people toss around somewhat casually in an effort to validate all kinds of love and behaviors and actions and lifestyles. In fact, John uses his exact same phrase again down in verse 16. We'll get there. I'm just going to dive in. Ready? Let's do it. So John is going to help us to solidify our understanding here in verses 9 and 10 that the love that God has in mind here, the love that he's talking about here, is best made known, or the word he uses, manifested, as seen in the cross of Christ. Again, it's something we've already talked about, but this is critical. Like, this is the gospel. This is important. So God sent his only son into the world. We know that. So that we might live through him. Why is this loving? Why is that seen as something that is loving? Well, we see the word in verse 10, propitiation. And that's a a tricky word, but we spent a lot of time talking about it, so I'm not going to go deep into it. But just in terms of summary, we're talking about redemption. The cross of Jesus, the cross of Christ and his death on it, served as, the language we use, an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all of mankind. It facilitates your forgiveness and for mine that is required on our behalf. You and I, we could not pay the price, so he paid it for us. God's love for humanity addresses the problem of sin and our need for redemption. Or as we said previously, God's love is most clearly expressed on the cross because it provided for humanity's deepest need. The reason that is such a pure and perfect expression of love is because his death met our greatest need. And that is to be reconciled, forgiven, and be brought back into relationship with God. That is why that is such a powerful expression of love. And the access point for this love is at our new birth. That's what John is saying here. It's those that have been born again, now we have access to that through our salvation. And it was all made possible through Christ. You with me? Okay, I'm just trying to set this up, and, and, and you're, you're doing a good job going with me, so I appreciate that. But all of this leads into the, the, the first point I want to highlight, and that is we can't help but love. We can't help but love. Love in action is required. At the end of our scripture here today, he says, um, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Does, this, does that sound like a choice to you? If you feel like it, you know, if, if that person is worthy of your love. If you, no. He says, you must. But in addition to that, we need to understand that we can't help but love. Look at verse 11. Put verse 11 up there. Should just be the next slide. There you go. No, it's not it. It should just be all in order. It's not. Find the actual slide so that we can stay, stay in order. We're having some technical difficulties. That's all right. You can do it. Hey, you. Found it. Good deal. Now, just literally just keep clicking all the way through when we get there. All right. Beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
We ought to love. So here's another key word that if we just brush past this, we're going to miss the point. It's not like, yeah, I mean, it's a good idea. You should. You ought to. That's kind of how we use the word. But that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, we have to take the context of the passage in order to understand exactly what he's talking about here. So, beloved, who's he talking to? Us, Christians, believers. He's talking to believers. If God so loved us, in, mean, in other words, if he loved us in the way that John just described, through the cross, and made a way for us to be saved and be redeemed, then we belong to him. And that love of God enters into you at the new birth. Let me give you a few more scriptures to verify this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're new creations. That's amazing. Based in godly love. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Our identity has been fundamentally changed. And we must acknowledge that what used to define us, the world, people, relationships, status, jobs, that's been replaced. And at the very core of that identity in you is the love of God. We look like him. We act like him. We inherit his traits. Now, is it an exact replication? No, but the resemblance should be unmistakable. Just like the picture I showed you side by side. You can't look at those two and say, no, there's no, there's no way. It, it's unmistakable. And our identity in Christ, founded in love, should be unmistakable. So if that's the case, then we can't help but love the way that he loves it's part of who we are as Christians. This reminds me of the scene at the beginning of Acts. If you remember, Peter and John, they're on their way into the temple and they heal a man. And the religious leaders are not having it. And they arrest them and they put them in jail. And they bring out Peter and John before the, the council. And they don't know how to handle it because the guy they heal is literally standing right next to him. <laughs> they're like, there's this guy. He healed them. We can't deny it, but we don't want this to continue on. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to read what they did about it in Acts chapter 4. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, this is the religious leader saying, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. As the redeemed people of God, as new creations in Christ Jesus, we can't but love the way that he loves, and we can't help but to talk about and share that love with other people. It's who we are. It's ingrained in us the DNA that we've been given. Now listen, like with all things in the Christian walk, this takes time. Usually. It doesn't have to. Sometimes you see people get saved and all of a sudden they're just like, they, they're a completely different person and there's just love oozing out of them and man, it's, it's a beautiful thing. 
But sometimes it takes a while. And do you know why that is? Because it's hard to let go of our old sinful ways and become more like him and less like ourselves. It's a process because we like how it feels in our old sinful ways, if we're being honest. But that's the journey that we're on, my friends. And that's the DNA of who we have been called to be. And I really appreciate how he ends verse 12. Can you put up verse 12? He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So in the process of us loving others as he loves us, we're being perfected. That's, that blows my mind. The way in which he is perfecting us is our loving other people. It's in our action of loving others that we grow and mature into his image and likeness. It happens in real time. <laughs> but you've you got to do it, right? You've got to love others in order to be perfected in the love of God. Amen, right? Yes, indeed. All right, so this ties directly into the next point, and that is this. I hinted at it earlier. I'm going to hit at it now. It's not from you. This love is not from you. I mentioned that a minute ago, that our identity has fundamentally changed, and that the very core of our identity now is the love of God. Got it. Solid. But this kind of love must be based on something other than you, other than your own ability. We don't produce love. We don't uh, manufacture it. It just doesn't work that way. It comes from God. All the love that we have is an echo of the love that God has for us. So if you're trying to force this love or somehow generate this love or uh, manifest it out of thin air. I mean, it's just not going to work. <laughs> we love because he is love and we are his creation. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. So don't see God and try to replicate his love. Don't try to copy it. Realize that as born again believers, the love of God that he has for you is now the source of your love for others. You don't have to. You've got, you're attached to the source of that love. We see it as sort of a conduit. Like the love that we receive here just continues to flow out of us. But we have to be connected vertically in order to express that love horizontally. And at the new birth, at your salvation, is the access point. That's what John is talking about. The love expressed as those that are born of God. I want to uh, explore just one more um, point here. Because John does twice. He says, God is love. As the text says, is God love? Absolutely is. God is love. But he's also other things. Isn't he? He's not just love. What other things in the New Testament are stated as God is. God is blank. There's, a, there's at least three that I can think of. So God is love, but what else is God? God is what, God's what? God is just. He is just, but I don't think that it says exactly God is just as a, as a character qualification. There's, it talks about the justice of God. The Alpha and the Omega. These are names. These are titles. He is holy, set apart. 
Think back to the first chapter of this letter. John chapter 1. Light. God is light. God is spirit. John says that in his gospel. And in Hebrews, it says God is a consuming fire. God is light. God is spirit. God is a consuming fire. I'm going to remind you then um, of John chapter 1, verse 5. You guys put that one up. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In him is no darkness at all. So if you remember back from that passage, the, the, the fundamental principle that we, we gleaned from this is that as creator, God's authority permeates all of life and he determines spiritual light and darkness. In other words, God is entitled to set the standards for human life and to judge every person according to those standards. If God is light, he is the one that determines light from darkness. And we are not in a position to say otherwise. And that's a hard truth. But it's an important one, especially in today's world, because as I stated before, many people casually toss around the idea that God is love in an effort to validate all types of love and relationships. But if God is love, they say, then that must mean that he is accepting of all lifestyle and choices. God is love. Of course he would accept all of that. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say, though. If God is love and we don't take into account the other things that the Bible teaches about who God is, then you can see how people arrive at that conclusion. They just say God is love and that build their theology around that. But God is also light. And that light is a light of truth, as God defined it. And it exposes the sin in the world. And once it's exposed, he destroys it or consumes it because he's a fire. But out of his love for us, he does not destroy the sinner. My friends, we have to take in the whole counsel of God's word so that we have a complete picture of who God is. We're not in a position to divorce God's love from God's light. That's how we end up in these places where we feel like God is this, generally. And if you only think about that, then you can you get my point. Yeah, you're right. God is love. But he is also light. Even if that means we become increasingly less popular in the world that often does just that, they say God is love so that he has to be okay with our behavior and our choices. Whereas the Bible would say God is love, so he receives you where you are and has a plan to radically infuse his love into you in such a way that your understanding of who he is and who he desires you to be, it changes everything. The function of love is different. It's not a license to do whatever we want It's the tool that God uses to change us from the inside out, to be who he has called us to be. God is love. And we ought to find ourselves in a position where we can't help but love others with the same love, and we can't help but tell others about that love. 
This is a hard truth, my friends. When I was writing this message, and I was actually putting some notes together yesterday, I wrestled with this. Because I know a lot of people in my life and in my world who don't agree with this, who are in lifestyles and making choices and decisions that go against this. So how, how do I leverage that? How do I balance that out? It's one of the most difficult things that you can do. Because in one case, you can just put a massive wall up and say, I'm not going to have anything to do with anybody that's in that lifestyle. It's gross, it's disgusting, it's ungodly, and I'm sick of it. And you will have zero impact and zero light in that darkness. Then you can swing to the other side and manipulate scripture. I'm going to be all things to all people. And then you're going to be just enveloped in that world, thinking that you're justifying being the light in that darkness, but you're participating in all of those things as well. So there's always danger in extremes. We've got to find the balance. How do we love people, all people, with the love that God has for us? and still manage to infuse truth into that situation? I don't know that I have the answer to that question. It is one of the most difficult things you will, you will have to walk in, especially as what the world says is okay becomes increasingly less like what this truth is that we just said. I mean, that's, that's the reality. That's the tension of where we are in this world. And you are going to have to wrestle through what that looks like for you because it's going to be different for each one of us. You will all have relationships and influences in different ways that require you to walk in certain ways. It's not that you're um, compromising on the truth. The truth never changes, but the method in which that truth is delivered changes from situation to situation. There's no stamp. Every situation, boom, boom, boom. That's, that's not love. Love is not like that. Love meets people where they are and loves them enough not to leave them there. So, my friends, I'm sorry that that leaves you short on, like, well, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. What am I supposed to do? That's, that's the question I want to leave us with, really. Not just specifically to this, this issue that I'm addressing, but how am I going to respond to this word that I am called to love other people with the love that God has for us? What does that look like in your life? Today, right now, when you leave here and you're out in the street, what does that love really look like? How is it expressed? Here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray every day this week, specifically for opportunities to love others well. Because that's the first thing I want to do. I want to pray for opportunities to love all people well. But then I'm going to actively look for those opportunities. All right, Lord, I'm asking for opportunities to love people, all people, difficult people, people who don't agree with me, or people who do agree with me. It doesn't matter. I don't care, Lord. I just want to love people well. Okay, now I see an opportunity to love them well, and then I'm going to ask the Lord for wisdom. Okay, Lord, how do I best represent you in this situation? And that's it. Guys, there's discernment in all of this. There is no cookie-cutter answer. That's why we have to be in this word. That's why we have to be in prayer constantly so that we hear his voice and say, okay, now move. Now say this. Now love them in this way. Now share this truth in love. Not with a hammer. Not with a shotgun blast to the face. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a willingness to yield yourself to the Spirit of God, 
and not be the righteous police, but also not be just so quiet that you get bowled over and that the voice of the church is what it is now. It's basically silent. So I'm walking away from this with as many challenges and questions as you are, but the, the evidence before us is clear. God is love, and if we are in Christ, we have that DNA in us, and we are called to love in that way. We can't help but do it. What that looks like, though, for each of us, that's what I'm asking you to consider this week. Prayerfully consider, what does that look like this week? Let's pray to that end, and then we'll wrap up our time together. Lord, we just ask for your help. We need it desperately. Um, it's, it's, I'm, yeah, Lord, I'm not fearful. I know that it's only going to get more difficult. As the world progresses beyond Christianity in a post-Christian world, whatever you want to call it, a, a world that um, not just ignores God but de- de- denies your truth and, you, and who you are, the truth that we hold to is going to become increasingly more offensive and difficult to navigate and negotiate. But Lord, that's also not an excuse for us to remain silent. So, Father, help us. Help us to see what that looks like in our own lives. Give us boldness to cling to the truth that we know. Give us wisdom in how to share and express that truth through love with those people that you have put in our path. Well, we don't need to go out and and establish all kinds of new relationships and start all kinds of new hobbies. And We have all kinds of people around us right now that need your love. So help us to determine, Lord, what it is that we will do this week to be the, the most clear expression of your love and your truth for a world around us who so desperately needs to hear it. Help us to do it in community, Lord, to spur one another on to love and good works, as your word tells us to do. Equip us, lead us for our good and for your glory. We ask for now in Jesus' name. Amen.